in some ways, I don't really feel qualified to be teaching about spiritual warfare. I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert on anything, except maybe pruning fruit trees, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm really good at fruit trees. And roses. I'm really good at roses, too. Because um, I learned from some experts, but, but we have the expert who wrote the book. And so I appreciate that word, and I appreciate that prayer. Um, in other ways, I am an expert at spiritual warfare, because I live through it. And some of you have heard my story, so some of you haven't. I'll, I'm just going to share a, a little bit of that at the end of this message today. But I'm, as you heard, I'm starting a series on spiritual warfare. There have been you know, many books and articles and videos. You can go and just Google spiritual warfare and just go crazy with all this stuff. In fact, I have seven books on my desk. Count them, seven on my desk uh, on spiritual warfare. Um, I don't know how many... I'm going to get through or exactly what I'm going to be using, but I, I, have, I have this because there's so much that's been written on this subject, but my goal is to present a balanced biblical approach to spiritual warfare because God has given us the tools to fight the good fight and win. Some of us feel defeated. We go through, I'll just say, some of us feel depressed. Some of us are despairing. Some despairing of your job, of your family, some despairing of the way your body looks, some despairing just in general, God has given you tools to fight and win. No matter what the issue is, no matter what the problem is, God is always greater. He never gets old. He's just the way his mercies are new every morning. Can you imagine something being new every morning as believers in God and as disciples of Yeshua, we are called to overcome the pull of what the Bible calls the cosmos, or in English terms, cosmos, which is defined as the satanic world system. We're called to overcome the pull of the satanic world system and drive back the forces of evil and the forces of darkness because they're at work around us all the time. So we need to have Holy Spirit-controlled thinking and attitudes toward life and towards people and towards our nation, and just in general, if we're going to succeed at fighting the good fight and winning. And I'll just say, most of us feel inadequate because we're not spiritual giants and say, well, I'm not the rabbi, I'm not the pastor. Well, you know what? I'm not a spiritual, spiritual giant either. There's only one spiritual giant, and that's Yeshua. And he is bigger than any satanic world system. He's, you know, my wife, I've told you this before, she doesn't like me saying God is the gorilla, Satan is the ant. You know, let's just say that uh, we have a, a mighty God and, he, and he's bigger than any, anything else. And, and you also know this, that when, when, when Satan fell, he took a third of the angels with him. That means he, he's outnumbered two to one. That's pretty good odds. And don't forget that. We're not stuck in some, some evil pit or, you know, we, there, God has given us the way of escape. When Jonah was in the belly of the whale, he called it a pit. And he thought he was, you know, for all intents and purposes, he was, he was about to die. And then he said he remembered the Lord and he called out to God. And he began to thank the Lord and the big fish spit him out on the shore. And off to Nineveh we go. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. We've already prayed some, and now I want to devote the rest of this message to you, that you would be honored amongst us. You would gain glory, even as you gain glory from 
the uh, the Red Sea experience, and even as you uh, the, the the children saw your glory when the, when the manna was manifested, manifested manna in the wilderness like coriander seed, and and it provided bread to the full. Yeshua, you are the bread of life, and I pray that we would receive you and your fullness today, and you would fill us up today, God, with every good thing that we need to fight this fight in Yeshua's name. So some of you have heard me say before that we live in two worlds. We live in the physical and the spiritual. We live in the temporary and the eternal. We live in the natural and the supernatural. It's just the way God designed us to be. That's why it says in Ecclesiastes that God has placed eternity in our hearts. Whether you're aware of it or not, whether you're thinking about it or not, God has placed eternity in each of your hearts. We live in the seen and the unseen. How do, how do you function well in the seen? Well, you, we know what we're supposed to do in the natural world. We're supposed to get plenty of exercise and eat well and get enough sleep every night and uh, be kind to our parents and our spouses and our friends and supposed to serve others, this thing in the scene, but how do you function well in the unseen? And this is the goal of this series. Because spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare is the normal calling for believers. It should be normative, not something relegated to the elite who know how to pray or who specialize in spiritual warfare. Although there are people who have special gifts in this area. And somehow we think it's not for us, but it is. And as soon as you think it's not for you, you're on dangerous ground. Talk about that again in a minute. So it's not just for, spiritual warfare isn't just for pastors and rabbis or counselors and therapists. If we're called to walk as Yeshua walked, as it says, in his footsteps, then all of us need to understand the biblical basis for spiritual warfare and our place in it. So we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, For you were called to this, because Messiah also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. It seemed like Yeshua was constantly in a spiritual battle, because he was. And sometimes it seems like we are constantly in a spiritual battle, because we are. The problem is that we don't know it. And that's really a problem. That's why we need this series. That's why we need to learn more about spiritual warfare. And I liken it to the person who is an atheist. They don't believe in God. They don't believe God exists so that they don't attribute extraordinary phenomena to God. Oh, that was an accident or that was a happenstance or um, it was an occurrence. They try to explain these things away with science and they say, I only believe in science. Or like the communists and the socialists of this world who followed Karl Marx and his version of dialectical materialism, which rejects the supernatural and spiritual as having any effect on the real world. Some of you have never even heard of dialectical materialism. So there are some who either don't believe in spiritual warfare or, and some who, who reject it. I like what Priscilla Shire has to say. She says, all day, every day, an invisible war rages around you. A cunning, devilish enemy seeks to wreak havoc on everything that matters to you. Your emotions, your mind, your family, 
and your future, but his reign stops right here, right now with you. That's about taking authority. The authority given to us by God, established through the Son, Yeshua, when he said in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, therefore, go and make disciples. He's saying, now I'm, I'm giving that to you. And to as many as received him, John 1, to as many as received Messiah, Yeshua, to them he gave the right, the authority to be called children of God. You've got to claim that. We've got to live in it. We've got to get it. Rabbi Shaul, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6 and verse 11, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Anyone ever read that before? Say it again. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, interesting, listen to this. The word schemes in the Greek is methodeia. Methodeia. What does that sound like? Method. Exactly what it is. It could also be translated cunning or cunning arts, deceit, craft, trickery, or strategy. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. What? The devil, yeah. the devil has a strategy? He does. In Hebrew, we say tochnit. He has a plan. He has a yeshlo rayon. He has an idea of how he wants to affect the people of God and God's creation. And he's doing a pretty good job of it in some circles, but not here. Not going to be here. That's why Paul says to stand firm. You know, when you're at ease, you know why they do that? Try and knock a person over when they're at ease. It's really hard. You've got a firm footing. You're like, try and move me. You know, you have to be a big guy to push me over. And I think that's what Paul's talking about, standing firm, holding your ground. Stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Yes, he's clever. Yes, he's tricky. Yes, he's deceptive and cunning and crafty. But the devil has a method. And the devil has a strategy, a plan to subvert those who believe in God and live a godly life, who speak the truth in love and are making a difference in God for this world. Satan loves it if you're lukewarm. Did you know that? Satan loves it if you're lukewarm. You know why? He'll just leave you alone and let God spew you out of his mouth. Oh, lukewarm. Okay. I don't even have to mess with that guy, with that gal. They're just, God will take care of them. God's going to vomit them out of his mouth. I'll just let him do it. But if you're humble and zealous and joyful for God, if the fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit are manifest in your life or in your family or your ministry, then be prepared for spiritual warfare. If you're not prepared, if you're not alert and sober, that's why we need to know the word. If we're not prepared by knowing Satan's strategy, and if we're not alert and sober, if you're not ready for battle, then the enemy has found an easy target. And if you think you can get through this life without knowing the word of God, and you're sort of like coasting on your parents' faith or something like that, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. And you're going to get stuck at some point and say, how did I get in this mess? Don't be that target. It's your choice. You know, we talk about spiritual warfare all the time. We just don't always call it that. I often remind you that, that that's, uh, Satan is not God's peer or counterpart. They're not sparring in a boxing match. God is omnipresent. Only God 
is omniscient. Only God is eternal. In this series, we'll carefully look at Ephesians 6. We're going to go through that. Some of you have already done that, the armor of God. Paul says, stand firm and put on the full armor of God. We'll address the the strategies, the methods of the evil one, because it's Satan who tempts people to sin. Satan lies and is the father of lies. Satan accuses believers and blinds the minds of the unbelievers. Satan masquerades as an angel of light, and he deceives the whole world, to name a few. We'll be talking about this. Tony Evans says that spiritual warfare is the cosmic conflict waged in the invisible spiritual realm, which is simultaneously fleshed out in the context of the visible physical realm. He says, whatever has gone on is going on or will go on in your visible physical world is rooted in the invisible spiritual realm. If you do not know how to navigate in the spiritual realm, you cannot hope to truly overcome in the physical realm. This topic is very personal to me. I mentioned this earlier because I've experienced the power of Satan in my own life through drugs, Eastern religion, yoga, meditation, Ouija boards, astrology, tarot cards, and more. For my, my, uh, my late teen years and early 20s, I can say that Satan had a stronghold in my life. I was dabbling in the demonic, and I didn't know it. I was in a battle for my soul. Didn't know it. When I came to know the Lord and tr- truly gave my life to him, I renounced all evil, and I submitted to his word and his will. I was baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit about the same time, and everything changed, and I would never be the same. We're going to close by looking at a, ver- a couple of verses in, in 1 John chapter 4. So turn with you to 1 John chapter 4. Very easy to find your Bible. It's right before 2 John, which is right after 2 Peter, so it's a little helpful to you. Sort of toward the end of your Bible before Revelation. 1 John chapter 4. We'll start reading verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Yeshua, the Messiah, has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Yeshua is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, or the Anti-Messiah, of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. So the Antichrist is coming, but the spirit is already in the world. You are from God, my beloved little children, and you have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Don't forget that. I've got it underlined in my Bible. It's been underlined for a very long time. You should underline it or write it down. Greater is the Lord, greater is Messiah who is in you by his Spirit than he who is in the world, the evil one. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is called discernment. We did a series here on the the gifts of the spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. One of the nine gifts is the gift of discernment or discerning of spirits so that we know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So that if something is in error, even if it's a little bit of error, something inside of you goes, wait a minute, something wrong with this. 
Something wrong with what that person said. There's something wrong with, with what's happening here right now. I don't know what it is, but, but I've got this sense. And that comes from being close to God, knowing his word, knowing what's right and wrong, knowing if you, you know how you know the counterfeit, you don't study the counterfeit. You study the real thing. You've probably heard that many, many times. Once in a while, I have a $100 bill in my possession, not very often. But when I've gone to cash it, first thing they do is they hold it up to the light. They're looking for, there's some kind of a stripe in the middle and something you can see through the light. And there, you know, people have, have been trying to counterfeit these big bills for so long. And even the smaller bill, the 20s as, as well, um, that they've come up with. So there's certain things they can't counterfeit. Certain, I don't know how it works. So you study the real thing. So you know when the counterfeit comes, you know what the difference is. We study the word of God. So when Satan whispers a word to you, you know that's not God. The same spirit that raised Yeshua from the dead now dwells in us. It actually dwells in us. you got to get this. The spirit, the same power of God that rose him from the dead out of the grave three days now dwells in us and quickens our mortal bodies so that we know the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. Because we know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wow, that's in my notes, and I didn't even know it. Hallelujah. That was great. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I ask you, Lord, to uh, anoint this congregation. Those of us who are here today, Lord, that there will be a a new anointing, a new awareness, a new sensitivity to your spirit, a new desire, God, a desire to know you more, not just, like I said, go on my, my parents' faith or my friend's faith or, or my girlfriend's or boyfriend's faith, Lord, but I, I will know you. I will, I will set my face like flint to know you and your ways. But the evil one will have no way to influence me, to touch me, to affect me, because I'm standing for Hallelujah. Let's all stand together. I want you to do that standing at ease position. I don't know if the guys know it, because we do it in, in gym class in junior high school. But we kind of, it's not standing straight. You kind of spread your legs a little bit, and you kind of get this position where you feel like someone's got to really push hard to knock you over. Stand firm against the strategies, against the method, against the craftiness, against the, the schemes and the wiles of the evil one. Lord, we're standing firm today. Standing firm. big decision and then you've got to say we're going to serve you my soul worship his holy so this is part two of a series a series I started last week on spiritual warfare and I, I got in bed a fairly decent time last night about 11.15 or something 11.30 and fell right to sleep woke up about about 3.50 and then it took a while to go back to sleep I'm thinking, and I'm, and I'm laying there in bed. Is this a battle? 
I mean, I know that, okay, so we're in a war. There's spiritual warfare all the time. But then there's battles we fight in the war. You can, that helps picture it a little bit. And I finally fell back to sleep, I don't know, about 4.30 or something. And then I woke up again about 5.50. I woke up, looked at the clock, I go, what am I doing up? And so what do you do when that happens? You pray, you know. And I said, God, is this, is this because I'm, I'm preaching about spiritual warfare and, and there's, there's demons out there? And, you know, we, we can't see them usually unless someone walks up to you and tells you we're, gonna, we're coming to get you. Happened to uh, Morris one day. But, but this message today was, was initially inspired by a message I heard by Jenny Allen. Jenny Allen uh, started uh, the IF Gathering. Has anyone ever heard of the IF Gathering? One person. This is a women's ministry that started in, I think, 2015. It's not old, but they began with this question. If God is real, then what? If God is real... Then what? And that, that's what I mentioned. I think I mentioned that last week, that when I, I came to faith, I believed the Bible was true. Once I believed that the Bible was true, then I had to deal with the claims of the Bible. Whoa, that's different. If God is real, then what? In John chapter 8, Yeshua says, The devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. There is no truth in him. And through this series, we'll be talking a lot about a lot of scriptures, maybe that you you've heard before, and we're going to put them in a, in a, in a healthy context. I hope um, there's no truth in the devil. Satan does not have truth in him. However, he masquerades as an angel of light. It's just it's it's a costume. It's like my wife and I are night owls. We I don't know maybe just our internal clock. You know, it's like eleven, twelve. I guess time to go to bed now. 12.31, maybe? I mean, if we have to wake up super early, we sometimes get in bed earlier. But, but when, we ha- when we wake up early, we put on our lark costume. And people don't know we're really owls. And once in a while, like this last week, I got, I don't know, I mean, I, I was up early this morning. I could have started texting people and you would have been shocked, you know. But our, our kids know pretty well. And our good friends know us pretty well as well. But... But I, uh, I texted our daughter last week about 7.30, and she texted back really quick, what are you doing up? You know, I've got my lark costume on. Satan masquerades as an angel of light, but there's no truth in him. And so we need discernment to discern. Is that God? Is that Satan? I mean, it looks good. Sounds good. You know, in Hebrews, the writer says that sin is pleasurable for a season. I have a lot of stories I could share with you. <laughs> Some people are shaking their heads out there. The devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, listen, this is John 8. He speaks from his own nature. You know what that means? That means that lying is Satan's native language, his first language, the one that comes most natural. For he is a liar and the father of lies. That's why we need to know the real thing, the truth, to discern truth from error. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for worship. We thank you for fellowship. Thank you for announcements and offerings and children and uh, water bottles and all that goes on, Lord, to make this community event happen every week. And for the 40 or so people who volunteer and who work. And and, we're very grateful for Shabbat for this day. We can set apart and come and worship you. Hear your word, fellowship. Now, Lord, I pray we wouldn't just listen but we would hear and obey. We would hear 
your word and apply it to our lives and take it with us. Just like your, your love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Let us shed your love abroad wherever we go. Help us to witness for you and make disciples. Yeshua's name. Amen. So why listen to the devil? He's a liar. I've got some family and, and some friends who are listening to the devil right now. And they're doing stuff that's ungodly and unholy and unrighteous and, and downright evil. And they're listening to the lies. Now, I've been there. I've listened to lies. I bought the lies. I was deceived. You know, one of the nature of being deceived, if you, if you uh, know you're deceived, then you're not deceived. Because you'll, you'll know it. And you, it's an interesting play on words there. You may say, I don't know when it's the devil's. How do, how do we discern God from the devil? That's why you need to know the word of God. If you don't know the word of God, which God spoke, you know, some people say, I've never heard God speak to me. Read the word of God. He's speaking. And if you need to hear it, read it out loud. And you say, God is speaking. Or, or listen to like, we're doing, this is our second year of doing an audio Bible. I don't know why we never did it before, but there's, my wife found a podcast she loves. I, I, I've got a podcast. I don't love it, but I think it's really good. And um, we're listening to the Word of God. It's powerful when you hear it. That's part of what preaching is all about. So you need to know the Word of God. And when you know the real thing, you'll be able to recognize the counterfeit. You're going to be hearing this over and over and over again. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And then you will know the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. It's really important. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting verse 3, this is from the TLV. For though we walk in the flesh, in our bodies, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but powerful through God for the tearing down of strongholds. We are tearing down false arguments, and every high-minded thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Messiah. Listen, this is war language. This is war language to tear down and destroy strongholds, false arguments, lofty opinions raised up against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive. That's what you do in war. You take captives. That's war language. Taking strongholds and taking thoughts captive makes me, makes me want to put on battle gear and go out and fight the enemy. Go down a front site and learn, learn some tactical training. As Liz Stubbs so aptly put recently, she said, I thought we were fighting battles. This is a war. And we can win because we're not using natural means. We're not using weapons of the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful. We just read that. The weapons of our warfare, we're not talking guns and swords and AK-47s. We're, our, the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the, listen, for the destruction of strongholds. What are some of these strongholds? Or put another way, what strongholds has Satan had in your life? Or what stronghold does he have in your life right now? Some of you can answer immediately. You know exactly what I'm talking about. For the rest of you, I'll give you a hint. Satan's strongholds are the areas of your life that are controlled by the flesh and not by the Spirit of God. Satan's strongholds are ungodly, fleshly thoughts and actions. And if you have any doubt or any question, find someone who's been walking with the Lord for a while and ask them, and they'll tell you, yes, that's not the Lord. That's not God. You know, before you sin, you think about it first. It doesn't just happen. And behind every sin is a thought. So. Take every thought captive. 
And if you don't do it, well, if you couldn't do it, God wouldn't say you could. You can do it. And if your mind begins to wander, which we do, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll be praying with somebody, and they're praying, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking about something else. Am I the only one that happens to? Okay. And I go, oh, wait, I got to focus, you know? That's not fair. They're praying, and they're sincere, and they're, they're... they're on a roll, and they got a, they're, they're, they're praying for somebody or something, and i got to keep focused. My mind begins to wander. And if your mind begins to wander, listen, stop and consecrate your thoughts to God. The last Bible study that we did last year was by uh, John Eldridge called Moving Mountains, all about prayer. And one of the things he, he, he taught us that I started doing was consecration, this, this uh, uh, practice of consecration. I mean, it sounds very... Uh, Old worldish and monkish and high church-ish. Well, it's concrete ourselves. But um, my wife and I were traveling somewhere. We did a lot of trips last year, and we got into our hotel room, and I started consecrating the room. And I started praying. God, I pray for this bed. I don't know who's been in this bed before us, but well, I'm consecrated right now. I'll make this bed holy. I don't know who, who used this bathroom or who, who stood here and whatever. And she, she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm consecrating the room. I'm setting it apart for God. I'm making it holy. And we can do that with our thoughts. Then you've got to stop, though. You've got you to get a, you have to take captive the thoughts. And he, you know what? God can heal and change how you think. Do you know that? That's why the Bible talks about being renewed in the spirit of our mind. The other one I'm thinking of in uh, Romans 12. Uh, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Oh, I'll tell you, I, need a lot, I needed a lot of renewing. My mind was messed up. And I remember that those, some of those scriptures were some of the foundational scriptures. This, this whole idea of taking thoughts captive and God getting a hold of my brain and, and not 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 thinking to sin, not purposing to do those things anymore. And God began to take the desire away. And, and, and I, I, remember when I, I remember when I stopped swearing. Wow, I haven't, I haven't sworn this week. You know, God was changing me from the inside. Here are three scriptures to remember. Mark 8.33, we have this in the TLV, but turning around and looking at his disciples, Yeshua rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan! Now, that would freak me out. If Yeshua was right here, and he walked right up to you, and he said to you, get behind me, Satan. You're like, what are you talking about? I'm not Satan, because Satan was speaking a lie through Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You're not, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of men. You're not thinking right, Peter. Here's another one, 1 Peter 1, 13. So brace your minds for action. I don't know what you've got to do about that one. When we get into Ephesians 6, the armor of God, we're going to talk more about the armor of God, and we can brace our minds with the helmet of salvation. Put on that helmet. We're going to be talking about that. And brace your minds for action for 1 Peter 1.13. Brace your minds for action, keep your balance, and set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. I love that. Colossians 3. Focus your mind on things above. Some versions say, set your mind on things above. This is something we can all do. Focus your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. Colossians 3, 2 and 3. Forgot who it was. Someone wrote a book, The Battlefield of the Mind. Joyce Meyer, thank you. I was thinking about that book while I was 
we'll, that'll probably come up at some point as well. Satan's strongholds are ungodly, fleshly thoughts and actions. How do I know this? Because if it's not of God, it's of the if it's not of God, it's of the flesh. Rabbi Shaul, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5.16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And you're wondering, I can't break that sin. I can't stop doing that, whatever it is. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now that, not, not to condemn anyone, I mean, we're all human, we all blow it, because n- not one of us can walk in the Spirit 100% because we're human. We're not God. We're not perfect. But we know the principle. You hear me? If we don't set high goals and strive for what God has called us to do, he's perfect. He said, I am perfect. Therefore, you be perfect. That's the goal. Otherwise, where's the goal? Down here somewhere? No. We want to be like Yeshua. We want to walk with him, be like him, speak his words. I remember as a young believer, I wanted to know the word so well that I didn't have to quote chapter and verse. I would just talk the word. It would just come out of my mouth. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. He goes on to say in verse 17 of chapter 5, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another. The flesh and the Spirit are in opposition to one another. You can't walk in the flesh and the spirit at the same time because they are opposites. It's like those, no, it's not like, it's the opposite of the magnet. Like poles push push you away from each other. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not human because we live in these fleshly bodies, but Paul is talking about our motivation, our desires, our attitudes, what drives us, the things of the Holy Spirit or the things of the flesh. What are you striving for? What's What are you putting your time into? Where do you spend your money? The things of God or the things of the devil? If you've got a stronghold, one of the, one, a good way to break it is to shout it out to God. Confess it. Denounce it. Declare it. Repent it. You know, I, w- I was praying a few weeks ago, and I remembered an old sin. And I prayed something like, Lord, I, I know I've confessed this before, but just in case I'm confessing it again. And the Lord said, I don't remember that sin. I was so startled, I wrote it down. And I, have it on, I put it on a card, and the card sits like this, so it's, it's looking at me on my desk, right under my, my screen all the time. I don't remember that sin. Because in Jeremiah 31, some of you know, in the new covenant, which is the covenant of Messiah, God says, I will forgive your iniquity and your sins I will remember no more. And this always blows me away. Hallelujah. It always blows me away because I think of the omniscient God, omniscient, the all-knowing God. He knows everything, past, present, and future, and he has chosen to forget something, our sin, when it's under the blood of the Messiah. This, This is good news. Though your sins, Isaiah 118, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as no. God is good all the time. Messiah Yeshua was born to die for our sins so that our sins could be washed away, made white as snow. What a deal. All you have to do is accept his sacrifice, accept the good news that he died for you, his blood was shed. You know, I, I remember thinking, what's all this talk about blood? We sang these songs, there's power, power, power in the blood of the land. Da, 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 da. And 
some of the blood. And, and I finally got it when someone said, well, there was this system that God invented in the wilderness called sacrifice. And it actually started back in Cain and Abel, but, but he formalized it with the tabernacle and bringing animals and shedding blood and sprinkling it on the people. You know, if you read the scriptures about the tabernacle, they would take the, the blood and sprinkle it on the altar. There were thousands of animal sacrifices. I just picture this altar covered with blood. Eventually, it was covered with blood. It reminds me of, of my, my salvation story. When I came to know the Lord, it was at, um, some of you know it, but I was, uh, God gave me a vision. My eyes were closed, and I was standing at the foot of the cross and looking up, and there was Yeshua crucified. And I looked up, and he was bleeding, and a drop of blood came down and splattered on my forehead. I looked up again, boom, another drop. And every time I looked up, a drop of blood would come down, and, and I, I was flinched kind of in, in my mind's eye. It was like a, I didn't know what a vision was, you know. I mean, I was 23. Uh, I was just seeing this picture. And eventually, my forehead was covered with blood. And in an instant, I knew he died for me. And all the discussions about theology, soteriology, epistemology, eschatology, et etc., et cetera, all crystallized in this crucifixion and the blood. And I pictured the altar being covered with blood, kind of like that, starting with some sprinkles, a couple drops, and then more and more and more and more. Yeshua was born to die, born to die for our sins, so that our sins would be washed away, forgotten, made white as snow. I heard a story once about a man who had two dogs. Uh, One was named Flesh and one was named Spirit. And a funny thing happened. When he fed Flesh more than Spirit, Flesh overpowered Spirit. But when he fed Spirit more than Flesh, Spirit overpowered flesh. What are you feeding? What are you feeding? It wouldn't be a bad idea to take an inventory of your days, of your week, of your month. See how you're spending your time. No condemnation, just exhortation. We're almost done. Turn with me, turn with me to sorry, Romans chapter 8. We're just, just look at two verses here. Romans 8 verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Verse 6. For the mind, the mind again, the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Sounds like the same person who wrote Galatians. You have a choice, death or life and peace. Which will you choose? Galatians 5.24 says, Now those who belong to Messiah have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You've taken those fleshly thoughts, those fleshly actions, Whatever they are, you, don't, you, you know what they are, and they, they come in a myriad of forms, and you've nailed them to the cross. You've crucified them. C.S. Lewis once said, we either disbelieve there are demons, or we make too big a deal about them. Listen, our, our weapons are powerful. They're divinely powerful, and they're not of the flesh. We have the Word of God, we have the Spirit of God, and we have the people of God. In other words, we're fighting this war together. The Word of God is what is true. The Spirit of God is fruit and gifts, many of them. The people of God fight for us and fight with us because they know we're at war. Thank those who stand with you in times of trial and tribulation. You know who they are. Someone says, you know, I've been praying for you. Wow. We're standing with you. You know, we send out prayer requests all the time from Beit Tikva. By the way, if you don't get those prayer requests and you'd like to, I love it. They come to the office comes right to my email, got my phone, like a little alert, turn it on, I can just stop and pray right then. People are praying all over the place. 
People of, God, people of God are fighting for us and with us. Thank them and tell them how much you appreciate them. You say, thank you for praying for me. I want to say thank you for praying for me as, as I've been preparing this series. I need you to hold up my arms because I, I sometimes am not aware of the, of the battle. I know I'm in a war. Sometimes I'm not aware of the battle until something happens. And then I'll go, That's, here are three lies we believe from the pit of hell. I'm worthless. I'm helpless. I'm unlovable. Don't believe lies. Believe truth. We used to tell our kids, you're not a liar. You're a truth teller. You're a truth teller. You know, you get mad at your kid. What are you lying for? We had some friend once, the, the son did something, and the father said, what's wrong with you? Are you brain dead? That's, that's bad. Really bad. No, you're a truth teller. Believe the truth. I am not worthless. I've been adopted into the family of God, so I'm a child of God. He is my Abba. He's my father. He chose me. In fact, I'm made in God's image. Therefore, I have infinite value and worth. Believe it. Stand on it. Write it down if you have to. I'm not helpless because I have the Holy Spirit. He guides me. He teaches me. He comforts me. He counsels me. He restores my soul. He equipped and equips me. He saved and he saves me. And he makes his word real for me. That's all right. We can clap on that. I'm, I am not unlovable. God so loved me that he gave his one and only son for me. I, uh, for you too, but I'm talking about me. You talk about you. He loves me with an everlasting love. And you know what? Listen to this. Nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing. God is bigger, better, and stronger than the devil because we know who he is. And his lies can't touch us because we're going to learn about the shield of faith. His lies, those flaming arrows, the shield of, shield of faith extinguishes. They're done. Be aware of the devil, but don't be impressed with him. Be impressed with God. God destroys Satan's lies with truth. Believe truth. Listen, no matter what you think or how long it takes, truth always wins over lies. You know, I'm worried about our nation. If you watch any newscast, you should be worried about our nation right now. And we're going through phases. Let me tell you, truth always wins over lies. It's a fact. The weapons God gives us are powerful. Let's fight for the truth. Let's fight for each other because we're at war. Tear down those strongholds, those, those false arguments and, and lofty opinions that are raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Messiah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your presence here. And we understand that we're in a battle. And God, I pray that uh, we would be well equipped for this battle, for this war. And we would take those strongholds down. We would take captive our thoughts. And we, we would uh, uh, take this seriously, not lightly, because this is serious. And Satan, you know, if you're lukewarm, Satan might not bother you. But I'll tell you, God will spew you out of us. We don't want to be lukewarm. We want to be hot on fire for God, setting our mind on things above, not on things on the earth. That doesn't mean we don't live here. It just means that our focus is godly, is righteous, is holiness. Consecrate. Maybe you need to go home and do some consecration. Maybe you walk into Starbucks next time and quietly 
consecrate that seat. You say it out loud, you might get arrested. What's that song we sang earlier? He's the way maker. He's the miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That's who he is.